Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat, for this opportunity you've given us to gather as Mishpachah's family and your presence. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives. That it will be your word spoken, your voice received. And Father, that we will take to heart everything that you say. Use me as a vessel for you, for your good, and for your purposes. And let nothing of me be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachim. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. 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 Uh, you have your scriptures. Go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning with verse 12. This is the very beginning of Parsha Ekev. Uh, as I said two weeks ago before uh, Greg Silverman was here, uh, my heart this year during this period of time is to focus primarily on the seven messages of consolation from Isaiah that are read from Tisha uh, B'Av uh, uh, through Rosh Hashanah or just up to Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and so that's where we're going to focus for the most part. But I want to set that up real quick with what we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 7 at the very beginning of this week's Torah Parsha, Parsha Akev. So in Genesis, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 12, it says, uh, chapter 7, verse 12, it says, Then it will happen as a result of your listening to these ordinances, when you keep and do them, that Adonai your God will keep with you the covenant kindness that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the produce of your soil, your grain, and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock, in that land that he swore to your fathers to give you. From all the peoples you will be blessed. There will not be a male or female barren among you and your livestock. Adonai will remove all sickness from you, and he will not inflict on you any of the terrible diseases of Egypt that you knew, but will inflict them on all who hate you. So we go back to, to verse 12. We see here that this is setting us up for something in particular, and it's actually a precursor to what we call the blessings and curses towards the end of Deuteronomy uh, as we move forward through the book. But in verse 12, it's very interesting the language that is used here. It says, then it will happen as a result of your listening to these ordinances. And the word there in Hebrew for listening is the word Shema. Just like we have in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hear Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That word here is not H-E-R-E, as in presently in this location. It is not here, H-E-A-R, as in, uh, you know, your, your mom is talking to you and you're hearing the words that she's saying, but you're not doing anything with it, you're not taking it to heart. Um, it is here, H-E-A-R, but an intentional, intelligent gleaning type of a hearing. It is something that we take to heart and we act upon it. Uh, so this is a, a slightly different connotation. And actually there's an entirely different Hebrew word specifically for hear as in just listen to what I'm saying. But the Lord is saying, I want you to hear this, listen to it and act on it. Uh, then we go forward and he says, when you keep and do them, that I don't know your God will keep with you the covenant kindness uh, that he swore to your fathers. The word used there in both cases uh, for keep is the word shamar. All right. Very similar to Shema. A little bit uh, different in spelling, but Shamar sounds very similar. Shamar is the word used for that means a hedge or a guard or to protect. As a matter of fact, in Orthodox Judaism, if you are an Orthodox Jew, one of the common terms used is that you are Shomer Shabbos which means you are a guardian of the Shabbat, you are a protector of the Shabbat, you are a keeper of the Shabbat. This isn't keep as in, I'm going to give you $5, you're going to keep it and run. 
This is keep as in guarding, protecting, making sure that it is something that is a part of who you are. Uh, it, it is a very important reality. So the Lord says, if you heed my words, if you hear, listen, and take action to my words, to my ordinances, and you keep them, you guard them, you protect them, you interact with them in a literal sense, then I will make sure all of these blessings come upon you. Then we move further through this Parsha, just as we see with the blessings and curses. He says, but on the other hand, if you don't, there's a whole lot of bad crap that's going to happen. So you probably should get your act together. Um, and so these are the, the, the direction that the Lord is talking here in this Parsha. And so as we move into the Haftorah, we're in Isaiah chapter 49, beginning with verse 14. Isaiah 49, beginning with verse 14, is where this Haftorah Parsha begins. As I said two weeks ago, uh, Tisha B'Av is a very historically important time period for the nation of Israel. It is a historical day of dread, of fear, of pain, of anguish, of suffering. Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av on the Hebrew calendar, is often in the modern world called the Jewish 9-11. It is the very day that countless atrocities have occurred against the Jewish people, including the 10 spies, 10 of the 12, coming back with an evil report on Tisha B'Av, including both temples being destroyed, one by Babylon and one by Rome, on Tisha B'Av, including uh, the Spanish Inquisition taking set on Tisha B'Av, and so many other events like the two times that the Jewish people have been expelled from uh, England. It all occurred on Tisha B'Av. There were many, many more, including things in the modern era that have occurred major atrocities. With that said, there's also one fantastic and phenomenal thing that has occurred on Tisha B'Av as well that we as believers in Messiah should rejoice in because it's a greater message of God's redemption and hope. And that is that Yeshua Mashiach was immersed by Yochanan HaMadbil, by John the Immerser in the Jordan River, the same river the spies crossed on Tisha B'Av with an evil report. He was immersed on the exact same day uh, on Tisha B'Av, crossed into the wilderness and spent 40 days, one day for every year that Israel spent in the wilderness, which was one year for every day that the spies wasted in the promised land. And he spent the very first act of his ministry in redemption. It's amazing the bookmark of Yeshua's ministry in life was redemption and redemption. Redemption of the, the mistakes of Israel that led to the 40 years in the wilderness and the redemption, uh, a, a literal, true, eternal redemption for those that call upon the name of Messiah and receive uh, his blood atonement. As we look at Isaiah, Isaiah is a really interesting book because Isaiah is often looked at as a very depressing prophecy uh, filled book, right? We look at it and we read about God saying Israel's going to be destroyed, God saying he's going to kick them out of the land, God saying he's going to bring in their enemies to wipe them out, God saying all of these very harsh things towards the nation of Israel over and over and over again. But what we realize here is that the prophet Isaiah, now Isaiah is a prophet in the uh, kingdom of Judah by Isaiah's life point, life period, life time, whatever you want to call it. The, the nation of Israel has already broken into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, also called the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom called the kingdom of Judah. If you remember historically, as the northern kingdom broke away and they set up their own kingship separate from the Davidic lineage, they set up their own kingship, they immediately turned to idolatry and turned away from the Lord. So much so that the first king of the nation of the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, set up idolatrous altars all along the southern border of the northern kingdom so that anyone in the northern kingdom would have to pass one of these 
these altars to get to the southern kingdom to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And so they would pass these altars and go, eh, what the heck, it's a shorter walk just to go here. I'll deal with it here, and then I'll go back. And so but these, these altars were specifically set up for idols, and even more so, the Lord said, when I have given you the city that I have written my name upon, you shall make offerings and sacrifices in no other place but there. So the fact that they were doing this outside of Jerusalem was also a huge problem. So by the time we get to Isaiah, the northern kingdom has already, the, the, the nation has already split. The northern kingdom has already been disbanded and taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. As a matter of fact, it was a two-phase thing for them. Uh, there were six tribes, I believe it was, that were originally taken captive by Assyria. And then uh, the, the remaining tribes kind of made peace with them for a little while, for about 10 years. And then the Syrians came back and took all the rest of them out and kind of wiped out what was the northern kingdom. So he's in this time period between the northern kingdom being herded out and the southern kingdom ultimately getting prepared for or should have been prepared for what Babylon was going to do to them. Uh, and so he's a prophet that is literally talking to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, saying, listen, you need to pay attention to what our brothers in the north just dealt with because that's coming on you if you don't get your act straight too. The northern kingdom walked away from the Lord. The southern kingdom was the only one to still serve the Lord. The temple and the priesthood was still in act. They weren't necessarily perfect about how they were doing it. And they were rapidly on decline, walking away from the Lord as well. So in Isaiah, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah saying, listen, you've got to get your act together. He says, if you continue to turn your back on me, if you continue to commit adultery with gods that you've never known, with gods whose breath is not in your lungs... Then I'm going to wipe you out of this land. I'm going to take you out in captivity. I'm going to destroy the land. I'm going to let the land have its rest that you never gave it. And then he continues on to say over and over and over again, but I will restore you. I will bring you back. I will return you to this land. And even more so, he goes beyond that to say, if you just repent and turn back to me, I won't do any of this. I just want you to come back to me. And so as we often look at the book of Isaiah and the body of Messiah, it is usually looked at in a negative sense. But the reality is it is a greater promise being held, a promise of redemption, of restoration, and ultimately of salvation, as so much of Isaiah's words point directly to Yeshua. So this is where we find ourselves in Isaiah 49. We read these passages, in essence, from Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 60 during this time period uh, in between Tishvah and Rosh Hashanah, because Tishvah were reminded of the things that caused the destruction of the temple, were reminded of the destruction of the temple, were reminded of all these atrocities that were caused at our hand because we sinned against the Lord. But then we read these seven messages from Isaiah, the seven messages of consolation, to remind ourselves that the Lord's just constantly standing there tapping us on the shoulder, saying, if you just come back to me, if you just return back to me. And so it's an encouragement that the Lord promises to restore and renew. So Isaiah 49, verse 14 says, But Zion said, Adonai has forsaken me, Adonai has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing baby? Or lack compassion for a child of her womb. Even if these forget you, I will. Even if these forget, I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The Lord says, as difficult as it would for a nursing mother to forget her own child, which seems like it should be logical. A nursing mother's not going to forget her child, right? But somehow now there's legislation and works telling people that they've got to find a way to put something in their car to remind them that they've got kids in the backseat so they don't leave them in the hot car in the summer. Um, you know, something tells me if you need a sign to remind you that there's a kid there, you probably shouldn't have kids. Just throwing that out there. But we, we look at this and we go, this should be logical. This should make sense. Unfortunately, in the world we live in, what is, you know, what, what is right is, is 
wrong and what is wrong is right and things are all backwards. But the Lord says, as difficult as it would be for a nursing mother to forget her own child, I can never forget you. And even <coughs> if she does, I will never forget you. I will never walk away from you. And in essence, what he's saying is, is it wasn't me that forgot you. It was you that forgot me. It wasn't me that walked away from you. I've been here the whole time. It was you that walked away from me. We move forward to uh, Isaiah 49, verse 22. It says, Thus says Adonai Elohim, Look, I will lift my hand to the nations and raise my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons on their chest and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings will be your guardians, their princes, your nurses. They will bow down to you with their face to the ground and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am Adonai. Those hoping in me will not be ashamed. The Lord continues this imagery of restoration. Verse 1 of chapter 50. Thus says Adonai, where is the divorce certificate, the divorce decree, uh, the get, uh, by which I sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? See, you were sold for your iniquities and for your transgressions. Your mother was sent away. It's a really interesting passage because a lot of replacement theologians use this as the grounds for why God was done with the Jewish people at the cross and only cares about the church now. Uh, and it's really interesting because if we read this, he's referencing something else. He's referencing something spoken through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 3 of Jeremiah. But what's interesting is in order to get to the idea that, uh, that the Lord has done with the Jewish people, we have to misunderstand what was being said through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 3. So we go back to Jeremiah 3 verse 6. So that we get a foundation of what he means by where is this divorce decree? Because he's asking the nation, the, the kingdom of Judah, where is this divorce decree? You're acting like you're no longer my wife. Where is the divorce documents? Where are the papers that say I divorced you? Right? And a lot of people go, oh, back in Jeremiah, he says he divorced him. But let's read it. Verse 6 of Jeremiah chapter 3. Then Adonai said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what backsliding Israel did? She went up on uh, every high mountain under every green tree, and there she committed adultery. Yet I thought that after she had done this, all this she would return. After she had done all this, she would return to me. But she did not return. Even her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. So clearly in Jeremiah, there's a delineation between Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Okay, goes on verse eight. I noted that when backsliding. Israel committed adultery, and I sent her away and gave her a certificate of divorce. Israel, the northern kingdom, and yet unfaithful Judah, the southern kingdom, unfaithful Judah, her sister, did not fear. Instead, she also went and committed adultery. It happened that through her frivolous prostitution, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and with wood. Yet after all of this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart. But uh, uh, only and sincerely. So we recognize right out the gate, Jeremiah 3, the divorce decree spoken of was to the kingdom of Israel, not to all of the nation of Israel. It was to the kingdom of Israel, not the kingdom of Judah. Even more so, this is extremely important. Listen, you got to grasp this because this is something that the replacement theology world loves to, 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 to spout. You've got to understand the reason it was easy for God to divorce, and I, I say easily, easy, loosely, the reason it was easy for God to divorce, quote-unquote, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, is because God never commanded disunity in the nation of Israel in the first place. God never called for two kingdoms in the nation of Israel. He called for one kingdom united under Melech Mashiach, under the king Messiah, united under the kingship authority of Adonai. One king, one kingdom, one people, Am Yisrael Chai, the people of Israel uh, live. Am Yisrael Chai, the people of Israel are one. 
That is what God called for the nation of Israel. And so he didn't divorce the people or put off the people of the northern kingdom, just the northern kingdom itself, which wasn't supposed to exist. There was only supposed to be one kingdom, and they were supposed to be on the Davidic lineage of kingship because the Davidic lineage of kingship is where Messiah would come. All right? So it's important for us to grasp it. He says, where is this divorce certificate? He's speaking to the kingdom of Judah, right? The kingdom of Israel is already disbanded. And Isaiah, by the time we get to Isaiah 50, the kingdom of Israel is already disbanded. So he's speaking to the kingdom of Judah. Where did the divorce creed go? Show me the divorce creed. If you think I'm done with you, if you think I don't want you around, where is it? And he's saying this rhetorically because he knows they can't produce it. It doesn't exist. So he goes on to say, or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? See, you were sold for your iniquities. And for your transgressions, your mother was sent away. In other words, you put yourself in this bind. All of the things that are potentially going to happen when the Babylonians crash down on Israel are because the nation themselves, the people, chose to walk away from the Lord. Because we chose to walk a life of sin rather than a life of faithfulness. Because we chose not to heed the warning that we saw through the northern kingdom. And then we go on to verse 4. He says, Adonai Elohim has given me the tongue of the learned that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to give heed as a disciple. Uh, Adonai Elohim has opened my ear and I was not rebellious nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those pulling out my beard. I did not hide my face from humiliation and spitting uh, for Adonai Elohim will help me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. The one who vindicates me is near. Who will accuse me? Let us stand up to each other. Who is my adversary? Let him confront me. See, Adonai Elohim will help me. Who is he who would condemn me? See, they all wear out like a garment. And uh, a moth will eat them up. Who among you fears Adonai? Who hears the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has not had no light? Let him trust in the name of Adonai and lean on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire and circle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire and among the brands you have lit. This you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. This is speaking of Messiah. This very passage in Isaiah 50, beginning with verse 4, is a messianic prophecy in which he's saying, listen, I am the one that the Lord is sending to serve on your behalf. I'm going to take, just like we read in Isaiah 53, I'm going to take your iniquities, your sins upon myself. I'm going to receive the punishment that is justly due to you so that you can faithfully return back to me. So that you can faithfully come back to the Lord. He says, uh, don't walk away from me. Make sure that you are listening and heeding my voice. He continues with rhetorical questions in verse 8. The one who vindicates me is near. Who will accuse me? Let us stand up to each other. Who is my adversary? Let him confront me. And in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, we see the very reality of this as Yeshua is fasting during this very time period that we find ourselves in right now, the 40 days between Tishbab and Rosh Hashanah, uh, he is fasting and the enemy, the adversary, Hasatan, approaches him and accuses him with uh, using scripture out of context, trying to tempt him, trying to take him away from the Lord's service. And each time that the adversary speaks to him with scripture, Yeshua returns with a better response from scripture, a more accurate usage of scripture. And so as we look at this, it's important for us to understand that uh, the reality is that God was never done with Israel. And in the same sense, God is never done with you and I. 
He has done everything, including the whack on the back of the head that we feel every once in a while when we walk away from him for the distinct purpose of drawing us back unto him. Isaiah 50, uh, 51 verse 1 says, listen to me, you who pursue justice, you who seek out an eye, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For when I called him, he was but one. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. For Adonai will comfort Zion. Uh, he will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of Adonai. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and a sound melody. And so he's saying, look, I'm going to even restore the joy in the heart of the nation of Israel. I'm going to restore the joy that was uh, taken away. Verse 4 of chapter 51. Pay attention to, my, to me, my people. Give ear to me, my nation. Notice he's saying, look, some really bad things are going to happen. I'm going to restore you. You need to listen to me now before these things happen. Uh, for Torah will go out from me for my justice as a light to the peoples. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone out. And my arms will judge the nations. The coastlands will wait for me. For my arm, they will uh, wait expectantly. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And its inhabitants will die like gnats. But my salvation will be forever. My righteousness will never wane. Listen to me, you who know justice. A people with my Torah in their heart. Do not fear the taunt of men, nor be dismayed at their insults. Uh, so as we look at that, verse 8, For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever, my salvation for all generations. Um, he's calling Israel, listen, listen to me, listen to my heart, listen to my words, heed me, listen, you're in this place because you didn't listen in the first place. Remember we read from the, the Torah Parsha from uh, Deuteronomy 7. He says, listen, hear, and interact with my words. And then he says, keep and guard them. Shamar, guard them, protect them. They are to be a part of who you are, right? And then Israel ends up walking away from the Lord, literally casting off his word. And so here he says, no, my Torah is going to go forth anyways. My word is going to go out. My justice will go out to all the peoples. Why does he say my justice will be a light to the peoples? He doesn't say people as in singular nation of Israel. I think he's speaking on a greater spectrum. Why does he say my justice will go out? Because he's going to work through the people of Israel in spite of Israel's sins for the purpose of bringing about the promise spoken to Abraham that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. Notice how that works. In spite of our actions, in spite of who we are, the Lord still wants to use us. And he's still got a plan to use us. No matter how far we think we've gone, he wants to use you. He has called you for a purpose. His salvation was poured out for each and every one of us individually so that we can be called back into his love, called back into his grace, embrace so that you and I can go out into the world around us and make disciples of all nations. So that every person we come into contact with can see and hear the reality of the Lord. And then verse 7, he says, listen to me, you who know justice of people with my Torah in their heart. Jeremiah 31, 31, the new covenant written upon the heart. The reality of uh, Deuteronomy where he says, I will write, uh, I will circumcise your heart and place my word upon your heart. Yeshua is that word made flesh and resides within our heart in a literal sense. The word is now etched upon our flesh. It is now a literal part of who we are. He says, the people with my tar in their heart do not fear the taunt of men nor be dismayed at their insults. And this is just after he skips a little past the side to end time prophecy talking about the world being wiped away. 
And that his redemption is forever, his salvation is forever, his righteousness is forever. He says, in spite of, and I believe we're living in those days, if you read about Matthew 24 and other places, where we are watching the end times approach us rapidly. And the reality is, he says, do not fear men. Do not worry about being taunted by the words that they say, by the curses that they speak, the dismay that they throw at you. Do not be haunted by the accuser trying to accuse you, trying to tear you down, but be strengthened in the Lord and know that everything that the Lord has done has been for you to get to this place, to lead as many people as possible to the Lord's faithfulness, to his salvation before the end comes. Just as Isaiah was sent to the nation of Israel, particularly the kingdom of Judah, so that they could hear the voice of the word of the Lord before destruction came. Destruction is coming rapidly. Destruction is all around us. But the Lord has placed us here to be a light in a dark world so that the world can return and be restored to him. This is what is the blessing to all the nations through the seed of Abraham, Messiah, Yeshua. As we go to Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 31, I just want to bring this all into context, the value and the importance of what is happening here as the Lord continues to tell Israel and Isaiah. As we continue to move through these passages over the next few weeks, we see this and the Lord is constantly telling the nation of Israel, and particularly the kingdom of Judah, I will restore you. I will bring you back. Do not fear what goes on around you. This is for a purpose. I will restore you. Verse 31 of Romans 8. <coughs> what then shall we say in view of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How shall he not, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? It is Messiah who died and moreover was raised and is now at the right hand of God and who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, you are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. And Paul can speak these words with perfect confidence because he lived and uh, ministered in Eretz Israel. He was from the Roman Empire, but he lived and ministered quite a bit in Eretz Israel in the land of Israel among Jewish believers in Israel post the resurrection of the nation of Israel after the Babylonian captivity and destruction. So he's living and ministering and speaking in a time period in which, in a physical sense here on earth, he has literally seen the reality of God's restoration of the nation of Israel. And he says, we've got nothing to fear. Nothing that could possibly be thrown our way could remove us from God's faithfulness and his love. Nothing could take away the work of redemption and salvation. Nothing could ruin this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things past nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other creative thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah, Yeshua, our Lord. I don't know about you, but I am extremely thankful that that is a reality. Amen. I am extremely thankful that that is a reality. That the Lord loves us and cherishes us so much. That he will not let anything separate us from his might, from his power, from his love. And we go forward to Romans chapter 11, verse 1. This, by the way, Romans 11 is a chapter that most replacement theology espousers love to just ignore. It just doesn't fit in their ideology. 
So Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be, for I too am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he knew beforehand. Or do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Adonai, they have killed your prophets. They have destroyed your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So in the same way, also at this present time, there has come to be a remnant according to God's grace, gracious choice. But if it is a, by grace, it is no longer by works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What, is it, what Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but the elect obtained it, and the rest were hardened. And then we skip forward to verse 11. It says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall. Did they, speaking of Israel, the Jewish people, may it never be. But by their false steps, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. Now if their transgressions leads to riches, riches for the world and their losses, riches for the Gentiles, then how much more their fullness. But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles insofar as I am an emissary to the Gentiles. I spotlight my ministry. If somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood and save some of them. For if their rejection leads to the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be? But life from the dead. The Lord promises to restore the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, we're watching this occur at this very moment around the world, and especially in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel, as Jewish people are coming to faith by droves. We are watching as the Lord's promises become reality, as revival breaks out, out among the Jewish people. And I promise you, Paul's words here, which are ultimately God's words, are true and are faithful and will ever ring true that the uh, uh, revival, the salvation of the Jewish people isn't just for the Jewish people, but it will be life from the dead for the rest of the body of Messiah. You want to see the body of Messiah arise in new power and new might and new faithfulness in the Ruach HaKodesh and the Holy Spirit? Let us reach out to our Jewish brothers and sisters to see them come to know the promised Jewish Messiah in a Jewish way and context. Let us see the nation of Israel recognize that God has not forsaken us. That God has in fact always longed to restore us. Not just physically on the dirt of Eretz Israel, but literally and spiritually in the power and the presence of the Shekhinah of Adonai, the presence of the Lord, by the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua. The words of the prophet Isaiah are spoken so that Israel will return, so that they will come back in faithful repentance unto the Lord. It's not so that Israel will be afraid of the, the dangers that lie ahead, because those dangers don't have to happen if we simply get our stuff together. If we simply walk in faithfulness with the Lord, the message of Isaiah is repent and return. For us as believers in Messiah, we recognize that the only way that that is possible is through the blood of the Lamb. The only way we can truly and faithfully repent and walk in the presence of the Lord is by the blood of the Lamb. By recognizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua, and most importantly, the ascension that his blood was poured out upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies in heaven, that he intercedes on our behalf so that we can continually be restored in faithfulness, even though as believers we are going to continually still sin because we're human, that we can continually be restored in faithfulness. 
His salvation is true and He wants nothing more than for you and I and every other person in this world that breathes the breath of life to experience it, to know it, to fill it, to be empowered by His Ruach HaKodesh because of His salvation. He's placed you and I here, called us back from all of the garbage we've done in our lives, just as all the garbage that Israel did in theirs, uh, in the, the pre-Babylonian the Babylonian captivity, pre-Rome, destroying the temple, etc., etc. He's called us back, just as he called Israel back. And in the same sense that he called Israel back, back to bring salvation to the world, he called each of you and I back from the dreads and the morrow and the disgust that we found ourselves in, so that we can be used by him to bring salvation to the world. It's not ours to waste. It's not ours to hold on to and to cleave to as though nobody else can have it. It is ours to share. Amen. That it will abundantly flow from us because his blood was poured out for all. Not just for Jews, not just for Gentiles, not just for you, not just for I, for all who have breathed the breath of life to find salvation and restoration in him. The promise spoken to Abraham was that by his seed, all the nations would be blessed, not just Israel, not just the Jewish people. And what he's telling you and I, what he's constantly calling us out from, and I believe the beauty of the message of Isaiah is a reminder that in spite of all of the things that we've done will allow destruction into our lives, the Lord is just calling us back to him. Back in faithfulness. Back in repentance. Back into his loving embrace. That we can be used by him for the good of those around us. And as much as one person, or in this room, however many are here, I think John said 60 or so that are here today, uh, in, in the reality of 60 individuals that are here. The Lord wants to use each and every one of us just as he wants to use Israel. He says, if Israel comes to salvation, we live life from the dead. How much is that a possibility of each and every one of us walk in the real life that is Messiah to bring that life to the nations and to Israel, to the Jewish people, so that we see the fullness of this prophecy and this promise from Romans 11 come true. God's not done with Israel. If he were, then the words of the promise that he spoke to Abraham would be disregarded, useless, and a waste. And God's word never comes back unfulfilled. Amen. Just in the same sense that his love for you, his restoration that he's given to you, the repentance that he has willingly accepted from you and washed away your sins in the blood of the Lamb will not come back unfulfilled and unvoid. He loves you, he cherishes you, and he wants nothing more than you for you to experience his goodness, his faithfulness, his kingdom for all eternity. And that you be, he be, that you be used by him, that others find it as well. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the only one there. And I don't think God wants me to be the only one there. I'm not sure if he wants me around half the time because I just mess things up, but he lets me in anyways. But the reality is, is he wants to use you and I so that more come in. And we live in a day and age, listen, I fervently believe without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord's uh, uh, purpose, his desire, his yearning for the Messianic Jewish movement is for it to be Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. Uh, contrary to popular belief outside of this congregation, uh, in, in certain aspects of our movement, I believe fervently that a Messianic synagogue cannot be successful if it is not predominantly Gentile. Let that sink in for a moment. I do not believe that a Messianic Tanei can be successful if it is not predominantly Gentile. Because the calling of the Gentile believer is to be a light, uh, is to, to be a light to the Jewish people, to drive the Jewish person to jealousy for his God. My calling as a Jewish believer is to be a light to the nations, to bring you in so that you can then go out and minister to the Jewish people and drive them to jealousy for their God. It takes both Jew and Gentile for this thing to work. Yep. And you know what? There are a heck of a lot less Jews than there are Gentiles in this world. 
I truly believe that every congregation, if we've got 25 Jewish people in the congregation, there should be another 200 Gentiles in the congregation. 250, 300, whatever you want to call it. We should hold to a Jewish construct. We should hold to a Jewish fashion of worship because this is what our Messiah lived in and worshipped in. This is what his disciples lived in and worshipped in. This is what the body of Messiah was in the first century. But the reality is that it should be Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, equal together. Yes. It's not intended to be a place for Jews to go so they don't have to go to a church and Gentiles go to the church so they don't have to hang out with Jews. I don't believe that God created division. I don't believe that the division of the body of Messiah is of the Lord. And I believe it's necessary that we come back together in unity. And I think in all honesty, in this day and age, as we draw closer to return to Messiah, Messianic Judaism is where that unity is. And it is in Messianic Jewish synagogues that the Lord wants to use Gentiles to drive Jews to jealousy for their God. And wants to use Jews to... Uh, be a light unto the nations so that this beast can continue on rolling so that when it all comes down to it, Israel will come to salvation as the Lord promises and it will be light from the dead. It will be literal revival for the body of Messiah and the world will never be the same. And on a greedy and selfish level, we should all be and want to be a part of that because Yeshua says he will not come back until all Israel proclaims Baruch Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Welcoming in the bright word. So how many want to see Messiah return? How many are ready to do their part? Because salvation isn't something that's only supposed to happen in these walls. You lead people to the Lord out there. You bring them in here for discipleship and for milk to meat. Doesn't mean it can't happen in here. But it's not my job solely. It's the sheep's job. The shepherd can't produce more sheep. Only the sheep can. Go. Make disciples of all nations. Bring them in so they can be discipled and grow in the Lord so that they then can go out and make disciples of all nations. Amen. Abraham, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you, Father. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your love never fails. We thank you that no matter what we have done in our lives, you are always there faithfully ready and waiting to restore us. And to your presence as soon as we turn back around in faithful repentance and teshuvah unto you. Father, I thank you that you have used the nation of Israel and the Jewish people throughout history as an example of repentance and return to you as an example of the restoration you have in store for all nations through the seed of Abraham, through the promised Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach, through the salvation of the blood of the Lamb. And Father, I pray that you continue to breathe faithfully upon us. That you move in a mighty and powerful way, not only in our congregation, here at Congregation Mind Chaim, but Lord, upon each and every one of our lives and each and every person who is listening to this message right now. Lord, that you will breathe new life, that your salvation will continue to boil up within us with joy and gladness, Lord, and that your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, will flow in a mighty and powerful way. Father, may we see miraculous things happen, not for our sake, but for the sake of the name of your glorious kingdom, that hearts will be turned because of the power of 